0: A Cry for Help, Psalm 69. Save me, O God. The water is up to my neck. I am sinking in deep mud, and there's no solid ground. I'm out in deep water, and the waves are about to drown me. I'm worn out for calling for help, and my throat is aching. I've strained my eyes looking for help. Those who hate me for no reason are more numerous than the hairs on my head. My enemies tell lies against me. They are strong and want to kill me. They make me give back things I did not steal. My sins, O God, are not hidden from you. You know how foolish I have been. Don't let me bring shame on those who trust in you, Sovereign Lord Almighty. Don't let me bring disgrace to those who worship you, O God of Israel. It is for your sake that I have been insulted and that I am covered with shame. I am like a stranger to my brothers, like a foreigner to my family. My devotion is to your temple, burns in me like a fire. The insults which are hurled at you fall on me. I humble myself by fasting, and people insult me. I dress myself in clothes of mourning, and they laugh at me. They talk about me in the streets, and drunkards make up songs about me. But as for me, Lord, I will pray to you. Answer me, God, at a time you choose. Answer me because of your great love, because you keep your promise to save. Save me from sinking in the mud. Keep me safe from my enemies, safe from the deep water. Don't let the flood come over me and don't let me drown in the depths or sink into the grave. Answer me, Lord, in the goodness of your constant love. In your great compassion, turn to me. Don't hide yourself from your servant. I am in great trouble. Answer me now. Come to me and save me. Rescue me from my enemies. You know how I am insulted. How I am disgraced and dishonored. You see all my enemies. Insults have broken my heart, and I am in despair. I had hoped for sympathy, but there was none for comfort. But I found none.
1: You <laughs> But at least there were none of the hard names in it, so. All right. At this time, children may go down to Sunday school. Uh, and as they're going, I'll just share a couple of announcements with you. Uh, Reminder, our congregational meeting is June 6th at 7 o'clock. If you are a ministry leader and have not yet submitted your report for the annual meeting booklet to Karen, if you could get that into her as soon as possible, please. Uh, She needs some time to get those booklets together and printed and ready for our boxes next Sunday. Uh, You you may have noticed already uh, as you came into the church this morning that a new nominating committee report has been posted Uh, The report for 2022 is up on the doors and in the entranceways of each of our buildings. Uh, According to our bylaws, uh, you are able to add a name to that with the approval of the nominating committee uh, up to and including next Saturday. So if you look at the list, you'll notice there are a couple of blank spots in there. Uh, If you'd like to stand up and and present your name for one of those positions or if you'd like to nominate someone else after having checked with them, uh, and contacted the nominating committee. Uh, we can put their names on the list there too. All right. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles with me once again, please, to the Book of First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter two. We're going to begin reading with verse 13. And while the Apostle Paul had something good to say about. Uh, every church he wrote to, with the possible exception of the church uh, in Galatia. Uh, nowhere is his praise so profuse, nor is thankfulness made so clear as it is in this letter to the believers in Thessalonica. He gives thanks to God because the gospel came to them not with just words, but with power. It came to them with the Holy Spirit, and it came to them with deep conviction. And he rejoices that these new believers had turned from the idols they once worshipped to now serve the living God. You see, they took to heart the message that Paul and his companions proclaimed, and they began to live new lives modeled upon theirs. And they became imitators of the Lord, Scripture says, meaning that they sought to see formed within them the very character of Christ. They had, wrote Paul, been chosen by God. They'd been appointed to eternal life, for they had received the good news of Jesus with great joy and faith. They, in turn, became a model to the people of the surrounding regions of what the Christian life should look like, could look like. Not just in the good times, but in the midst of a corrupt society, in the midst of persecution and ongoing abuse, they showed the surrounding region what it meant to be a Christian. And this new way of living led to action. And so Paul gave thanks to God for their work produced by faith, their labor prompted by love, and their endurance inspired by hope in Christ Jesus whose return they eagerly longed for. And Paul encouraged and comforted the Thessalonians as a father would his own children. And he urged them to live lives worthy of God, worthy of the God who had called them and redeemed them and had given them new life in Christ Jesus. They had received the gospel, and their lives were being changed by it. They were no longer what they once were. They were now new creations in Christ. And that is true of many of us here this morning as well. New creations in Christ. For some of you, that newness began 40 years ago or more. Others, it might have begun within this last year, these last months. But you are now in Christ Jesus. You are not now what you once were. And you are living new life in Christ. And that brings us, to our passage this morning. Beginning with verse 13, Paul writes this. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it as it is, not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. And in this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. It's interesting. It's easy to miss in that passage. But if we pay close attention to it, we'll see that the lives of the Thessalonian believers have been so transformed and to such an extent that their life has been so different that opposition has risen against them from their community. Just as the churches in Judea suffered at the hands of the Jews, so too was the church in Thessalonica suffering from the hands of their own countrymen. You see, the world system in which we live, it will oppose the true church. And when we talk about the world in this sense, we're, we're talking about uh, all those who are indifferent to or hostile towards Jesus and the things of God. Really, it's a, a term which encompasses all the ways of living that conflict with God's will and his purposes, and which is under the influence of Satan, who scripture tells us has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul mentions this world system in his letter to the Ephesian church. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Then a little bit later in that passage, Paul reminds the Ephesians that the struggle that we're in. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, all these oppose God. They oppose his church to one degree or another. And we were a part of this system ourselves until we received the word of God and became new creations in Christ. And some of you might be thinking, well, not me, pastor. I wasn't always a Christian, but even as an unbeliever, I didn't hate God or his people. I didn't stand in opposition to him. But Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. It's pretty black and white. Uh, If you're listening this morning, I want you to understand there is no middle ground. You can't straddle the fence with one foot in this world and one foot in God's kingdom. You're either in one or you're in the other. There's no shades of grey there at all. And so, even if our hostility towards God was not manifested in acts of violence or persecution, it was realized again and again as we wittingly or unwittingly participated in a world system that rejects Jesus and lives to please itself rather than God. And just take a moment and consider this world system that we're talking about. Can you see in our own society? where and how this system is at work in opposition to God? Do you see where the the things that our society holds dear come into friction, a conflict with opposition to the things that God has shared with us in his word? If we can't see that, if you're not able to think of those instances, I would encourage you to consider it more deeply in the days of this coming week. How are we supposed to stand apart from the world be in the world but not of the world, if we can't even identify the world system which stands opposed to God. Have you ever wondered why this world system is opposed to Christianity and all that it stands for? Really, it's something that I've, I've wondered at, from time to time myself. After all, it seems counterintuitive, doesn't it, that the people who are meant to be characterized by grace and who seek to live at peace with all peoples who strive to love their neighbors as they love themselves, would be rejected, ridiculed, and persecuted. And yet those very things are happening in nations around the world today. But it's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. How could the world oppose these things, I wonder? Theologically, the answer as to why is easy. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first, he says. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you? No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. He who hates me hates my father as well. But this is to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. Now consider that. We know that Jesus was without sin. That means in part that he never wronged anyone. He never treated anyone unjustly or apart from righteousness. There was no selfishness or envy in him to turn his heart against his fellow man. There was no greed that would well up within him and cause him to think of himself above others. He didn't delight in evil, but he rejoiced in the truth. He was the perfect representation of the Father. And yet the people of this world hated him enough to call for his crucifixion and to have him put to death. And if the world could hate the one who could love perfectly, who was faultless in justice, grace, and compassion, how much more might it hate those who seek to follow in his footsteps, but who do so imperfectly as we do? See, those who oppose God's kingdom, they have the same heart as those who oppose Jesus. They hate Christ's followers. He's the first hated Christ and all that he stands for. Andrew Smith once said that people fear what they don't understand. I think you'd agree there's a lot of truth in that statement. As children, we fear the dark because we don't understand that what's hidden in the darkness is that which is seen in the light. Instead, our imaginations do what? They, they create monsters that live in the shadows or under the bed or which hide in the closet. When I was growing up, they lived in that space under the stairs leading to the basement. Um, I would always have to sing a song to myself when I went down. there as a little guy to scare the monsters away. But this is all creations of our own mind. What is there in the darkness is the same as that which was there in the light, but it's the fear of the unknown of not understanding what might happen that holds so many people back from stepping forward in faith. So much of our fear is fed by those things that are unknown to us or in which we lack an understanding. In about five weeks, we, along with a few other churches, are going to have a booth up at Country Fest uh, as an outreach. We're going to be there to pray for people. Uh, We'll have Bibles to give out if someone was interested in them. We need volunteers from our congregations to help come along and uh, staff that booth over the course of the weekend. And some of you are thinking, boy, I'd like to do that, but I'm scared. What that is, that's the fear of the unknown. The fear that you might do or say the wrong thing. The fear that you might be ridiculed or rejected or uh, verbally abused or even physically abused potentially, I guess. And yet we don't want to let those fears stop us from doing what God has called us to do. And so I'll put it out there again. I mentioned it a few weeks ago. If you would like to be a part of that ministry, please let me know as soon as possible. And we will have a training day uh, leading up to that, a couple of hours one morning uh, on the Saturday before. Uh, and you're invited to be a part of that. And we'll be there in two or three hour shifts. But for many of us, it'll be a step of faith because it'll be taking us out of our comfort zone where we fear what we don't understand. But the God who is with us this morning will be the God who is with us there as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul reminds us that the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. He says, we've not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. In the same way, we know that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. And it was when Jesus hung upon the cross that he said this, Father, forgive them. And what was the reason he gave? For they do not know what they're doing. In other words, they don't understand who I am. They've not understood my message. And while some called for his crucifixion out of fear, and others did so out of jealousy, None of them understood the kingdom that Jesus had come to inaugurate or that in the person of Jesus, God had come to dwell with them. And as we work our way through the pages of the Bible, as we observe how our society responds to Christianity, that we begin to see that this world system does indeed stand opposed to Christianity because it fears a kingdom and a God that it does not understand. And that's what's happening in part in Thessalonica in these passages that we're reading. That was one of the causes of the suffering the Thessalonian believers were experiencing. They were being persecuted by a people who did not understand. Writing to the Ephesians, Paul speaks of those that are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And then to the Romans, he says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live according to the spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. See, the mind of sinful man cannot and does not, apart from the grace of God, understand the things of the Spirit. And because it does not understand and cannot accept these things, such a mind is hostile to God and resists his ways. Now that quote from Andrew Smith that I shared with you earlier was actually just the first part of what he had to say. The whole statement goes like this. People fear what they do not understand, and they hate what they can't conquer. And I think that's what we're seeing played out in various parts of the world today, particularly perhaps in communist countries. China will serve as a prime example of this. Over the last few years, though, the persecution of Christians has increased significantly. And we see it with crosses removed from buildings. We see it from church buildings torn down and destroyed. We see it when Bibles and teaching materials have been confiscated and believers have been imprisoned. In the past, the state-sanctioned church, which was known as the Three-Self Church, had escaped the persecution that was being experienced by the home churches and the Protestant churches who operate outside of state approval. But over the last three years, even that has begun to change. And the Three Self Churches are now facing persecution as well. According to an article written by Jessica Lee and published on a church leader's website, one church member said, we thought that after joining the Three Self Church, the persecution would stop, but we continue to be persecuted all the same. And a director of a Three Self Church that had been shut down stated this, the government says our church grew too rapidly. And they fear that having that many believers is unfavorable to them. And then in September 2019, the Religious Affairs Bureau gathered directors of state-run Protestant churches at a conference and told them that the government wanted to control the spread of Christianity by cutting down on the number of churches. And friends, make no mistake. Control is what it's all about. But here's the good news. The government cannot control the working of the Holy Spirit. the hearts of men and women. And so as the communist leaders see the number of Christians in their nation increasing, their fear of losing control and influence of held grows. And so they come against the church with ever-increasing persecution. And just as the governments of many countries come against the church, so do too does the world system in which we live oppose Christianity. Why? Because this world rejects that which it cannot control. R.C. Sproul, in his book, The Holiness of God, tells a story about Billy Graham that goes like this. A well-known professional golfer was playing in a tournament with President Gerald Ford, fellow pro Jack Nicklaus, and Billy Graham. After the round was over, one of the other pros on the tour asked, hey, what was it like playing with the president in Billy Graham? The pro said with disgust, I don't need Billy Graham stuffing religion down my throat. And with that, he headed for the practice tee. His friend followed, and after the... The golfer had pounded out his fury on a bucket of golf balls. He asked, was Billy a little rough on you out there? And the pro sighed and said with embarrassment, no, he didn't even mention religion. Astonishingly, Billy Graham had said nothing about God, Jesus, or religion, and yet the pro stomped away after the game, accusing Billy of trying to ram religion down his throat. So, How do we understand that? I think Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus gives us some insight. At that time, Jesus said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. You see, darkness and light, they don't mix together well, do they? The darkness attempts to hide the evil. The light of God seeks to expose it. In the book of 1 John, John writes a warning to his readers. He says to them, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Similarly, Jesus said, The world hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You see, this world despises that which shines light into the darkness of a people's heart. And that's what the truth does. It brings light to bear on the darkness within us. And when that happens, there are really only two possible outcomes. We can either choose to step into the light, putting off the things of the darkness, or we can double down and step even further into that darkness, resisting the light all the more. You see this happening today in our own culture. When Harry Potter Arthur J.K. Rowling tweeted a comment on an article she read, she had no idea of the type of backlash she would face. The article spoke of people who menstruate, to which Rowling responded, saying, there used to be a word for those people, meaning, of course, women. Since posting that tweet, though, Rowling has received hundreds of threats from trans activists who have threatened to beat, to rape, to assassinate, and to bomb her and her family. Why? Because she shone the light, the truth, into the darkness. Truth is that only those born with female reproductive organs can menstruate. Those born with male ones can't. As best I can tell, we do have some doctors here, so if I'm wrong on this, please correct me afterwards. But as best I can tell, that's a biological reality. And yet this seemingly innocuous tweet is up the ante for those who don't agree with Rowling's statement. And the response has been what? An outpouring of evil. Threats of violence that are far out of proportion to any offense that could have reasonably been understood to have been caused by her words. And we see, see the same type of thing occurring throughout history. Those who have written or who have spoken unpopular and inconvenient truths have incurred the wrath of those who have held contrary views. So books have been burned, people imprisoned, and others executed simply because they have a divergent view of the world. The suffering the Thessalonians were experiencing was they, because they believed an unpopular and an inconvenient truth. And that truth was this. Jesus was the Son of God. He died for our sins, he was buried, and then on the third day he was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he will one day return. They called people to repentance and proclaimed the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. And because they shone the light of God's truth into the darkness, they were hated and they were reviled by their fellow countrymen. So were the prophets who had come before them. In the seventh chapter of the book of Acts, we read about a believer named Stephen. You may remember that Stephen was stoned to death by the Jews because he preached a message that shone the light of God's truth into the darkness of men's hearts. The unpopular truth he spoke to the Jews was that Jesus was the Messiah that God had promised and for whom they had been waiting, and they had put him to death. His final words before being stoned were these. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, and you have received the law that was put into effect, pardon me, you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but have not obeyed it. We read about those who have gone before us and suffered for their faith in God in the book of Hebrews as well. Beginning in chapter 10, verse 32, we read this. Remember those earlier days after you'd received the light? when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison. You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. And a little later, we read this. Some faced jeers and flogging. Still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated, and this world was not worthy of them. Now persecution and suffering of that sort at that level are really unknown here in North America. I don't think anyone here has been stoned or flogged because of their faith, but these things are happening in other parts of the world today. And I believe that's a trajectory that our society is on as well. I believe persecution against the Christian church as a whole and believers as individuals will go greater in the coming years. The lines are already being drawn in the sand. People are becoming more polarized in their beliefs. It used to be you could hold a conversation with someone who held a divergent opinion than you did and walk away uh, still being friends or at least not hating one another. No longer is that the case, it seems. We cannot agree to disagree. All that has changed. Increasingly, if you don't believe, accept, and wholeheartedly support someone with views contrary to yours, chances are that you're going to be called a hater by that individual or group of people who hold to that particular set of beliefs. It's called cancel culture. We might end up talking more about that next week. But in general terms, cancel culture results in the silencing, ostracizing, and punishment of those who hold beliefs contrary to the mainstream worldview. Now, this isn't something that that just happens to Christians. It's happened to a rallying, it's happened to others who are not Christians, but anyone who holds uh, an unpopular opinion from mainstream society's perspective, uh, it seems that cancel culture comes into effect. And And because the Christian worldview is at odds with this world system in which we find ourselves, we should expect to face increasing persecution in the years ahead. Already over the last few years, we've seen those that hold biblical views on a number of issues, including abortion, sexuality, marriage, and even the belief that no one can come to the Father except through, this, through Jesus, they've come face-to-face with cancel culture. And some have been threatened with all manner of harm. Some have lost their jobs. Others have been ostracized in their professional circles. After Stephen was stoned to death, a great wave of hatred welled up in Jerusalem. And we read in the book of Acts that on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women, and he put them in prison. That's how fast it happened. Overnight, as it were, in the course of one day, this persecution against the followers of Christ broke out. The death, the martyrdom of Stephen was the start of it, and the community exploded in an overflow of hatred, in a wave of hatred after that. And people were forced from their homes. They lost the source of their livelihood. Some were imprisoned, and some, like Stephen, were killed. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul states the reality is this that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus alluded to this truth as well. He told his followers that those who oppose God's kingdom and his people will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. You'll be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me. Anyone want to sign up to be a Christian this morning? Speaking of the persecution that some in his day were facing, Peter wrote them saying, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. The spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For some, the cost of persecution is going to be more than they're willing to pay. And when persecution comes, they will turn away from the faith. Others will stand firm in Christ. They will persevere through to the end despite their sufferings. Remember what Jesus said? Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. And I believe that those who are going to persevere to the end are those whose life and hopes are shaped by the word of God. Uh, Remember what they encouraged the Thessalonians to endure? It was the hope they had in Christ's return. They endured this heartache. They endured this suffering. They endured this persecution. Why? Because they believed the word of God. They believed that Jesus was coming again. And so they stood firm on God's truth. And it will be the same for us. The greater depth to which we delve into God's word to take it to heart, to believe it, to put it into practice in our lives. The greater extent to which we allow the Spirit to work within us, forming within us the character of Christ, the closer we draw to God through prayer and Bible study and worship, the more we do these things, the more firmly rooted our faith is. We study the Word, we internalize it, we live it out, believing it to be true. And it's these ones, I believe, who know God on this deep level. Not a shallow faith, but a deep faith. It's these ones uh, who will stand firm when that day of persecution comes because they have spent time with God. They've gone deep with him. And I want to ask you this morning, have you gone deep with God? Are you going deep with God in these days? Because here's the thing. When persecution comes, it's really in many ways too late to begin to get that depth that's needed to stand firm. Go deep now. Understand, like the Thessalonians, who our God is. Understand the hope that we have in Christ. He is coming again. This world is not all there is. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. God's kingdom will be fully inaugurated and established. There will be no more suffering or hurt, pain or sorrow or death. Life will be as it was originally created to be there in the Garden of Eden. We believe these things. We anticipate these days. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, and one day he will return. And He will come in power and glory. And we praise God for that, and that is what we eagerly look towards in the days to come. So the time to go deep with God is now. Don't wait until persecution breaks out to figure out if you believe the scriptures or not or to seek an abiding fellowship with the Father through Jesus. Instead, as we read in Ephesians, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Let's pray. Father, we talk about persecution. But for the most part, we only talk about it in abstract because we have not lived through these things that we read about. We have not experienced those things that many brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing even now. From what I read this past week, Lord, one in seven Christians around the world faces severe persecution and discrimination. That's incredible to think of, Lord. And again, hard to wrap the mind around when we are to be a people of love, a people of grace, a people of forgiveness. And yet the world has misunderstood Christ. And because they've misunderstood and hated Jesus, they misunderstand and hate Christianity and Christians and the message that we proclaim, even though it be a message of hope and love and grace and forgiveness and faith. Father, we believe that you are at work in this world today. that Your spirit is at work in and through our lives. And that you are forming within us the character of Christ as we give ourselves to move in obedience to your word and what your spirit has laid on our hearts. We understand that in the coming years, persecution may begin to be experienced by uh, believers here in North America as well. We don't know for sure what that will look like, but we do know this, that if and when that happens, that does not mean you've abandoned your people. It does not mean that you've forsaken your church. It means that your people are living in such a way that they stand apart from the culture, this world system, not stand apart in pride, but stand apart in the grace and glory of God, shining light into the darkness, embracing the truth and rejecting evil. The world will not accept what it fears. It will not accept what it cannot control. It will rise up against these things. And Father, if and when persecution comes, may we be as those who have gone before us, even as the disciples who were told rejoiced that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Help us to go deep in these days, Father. Help us to prepare ourselves and our children and our children's children uh, for what may come uh, in our country, in the years that lie ahead. The world may resist you, Father, but they will never overcome you. Nations may rise up, but you are the one who brings nations down. You raise up leaders, you bring down leaders. You are at work in this world. Your word will not fail. And we stand firmly convinced that Jesus will return. And that your word will be fulfilled. Uh, Every letter, every jot of it, Lord, will be fulfilled just as you have spoken. May we be ready when that day comes. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.